everyone, Shirley here. Welcome to today's discussion about the thinking and actions GovCon business owners should take to position their companies for sale within the next three years. There are myriad financial, legal, people, infrastructure, and client issues that need to be addressed to prepare the company to command the highest market value and to minimize the stress and expense associated with the sale. I find that many business owners dream of cashing out, but many of them don't understand the necessary preparatory work. To help me sort through these issues, I reached out to Mike Mercurio, a shareholder with the law firm Offit Kerman. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Shirley. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, it's a pleasure having you. Please tell our audience a little about yourself and your practice area within Offit Kerman. Sure. Well, I've been practicing almost 25 years, primarily handling corporate transactions and related matters. I'm one of the owners of Offit Kerman, and uh, this is my 18th year with the firm. My clients are typically entrepreneurial businesses that are closely held in the lower and middle markets. And for these clients, I generally do two things. On one hand, I provide all the daily business advisory and general counsel that every business owner needs during their operations. This could include things like general corporate, which includes ownership and employment issues, real estate, intellectual property, contract, and other operational matters. You know, I'm not an expert in every area of law because we're all specialized. However, having worked with these clients many years, I've seen most situations, and I can quickly triage a problem before getting a subject matter colleague involved. Or the flip side, I regularly advise clients on all facets of M&A, including sell-side and buy-side transactions, but also all the other specialized transactions, such as mergers, restructures, capitalizations, and the like. Excellent. Mike, to get our conversation started, tell our audience why we chose this topic. Well, first, the, the M&A market is, is very, very hot right now, uh, booming, I'd say. I understand um, there may be upwards of, I think, 10% more sellers in the market over what otherwise would naturally be. Um, in addition, interest rates are still low, and so are the tax rates. All of these items drive movement in the market. We're seeing many deals, and they're all shapes and all sizes. You know, many sellers know this to be a good time to sell, and, you know, frankly, the multiples are still good. And buyers, of course, have capital to deploy and believe there's, you know, many good deals to be had. Moreover, my experience concludes that most sellers uh, could benefit from being better planned before deciding to sell their businesses. After all, how a seller operates their business may not be the same way as how the seller should sell their business. In my experience, frankly, many businesses fail to adequately prepare their companies from a legal perspective before they put themselves on the market. And, and in my experience, I observe the same thing related to a company's client and contract mix. I often think, I wish I had known this company three years ago. There are a number of issues I would like to address with you, Mike, in this discussion. Let's start with corporate governance. First of all, define what we mean by corporate governance. Sure. Um, corporate governance is a broad term and it covers the corporate structure and form of the business. It includes such things as the legal format of the business, you know, whether it's an LLC or corporation or what have you, the ownership structure, the relations of the owners, um, such as their operating agreement or their stockholders agreement, and all of the documents that are related that make up these items. 
So in what ways should corporate documents and practices be reviewed in preparation for a sale? Sure. First, your corporate documents and agreements should be updated as the business goes through changes. For example, as new shareholders or stockholders are admitted or stockholders leave, stock ledgers and stock certificates should be updated. It's frequently the case that business owners cannot produce current documents during their sale, evidencing that they own the company. Further, corporate law generally provides that stockholders have at least an annual meeting to ratify key events in the business. Typically, written resolutions are prepared to memorialize these ratifications. Many times when we look to sell business, resolutions haven't been kept up for years, if ever. Going further, agreements between the owners must be periodically reviewed to fit the current corporate dynamic. For example, it's a very usual provision to have drag-along rights outlined in a stockholders' agreement if there are many owners with small stakes. The ability to drag owners into a potential transaction and not be held hostage is very important. Another area that frequently causes issue at the point of sale is the structure of the business and its tax status. For example, if the seller's buyer is private equity-backed, this buyer is unlikely to want to purchase your company if it's taxed as an S-corporation. And why is that, Mike? Well, many private equity buyers are formed as LLCs. In this regard, these entities prefer the pass-through format of an LLC that does not have the same restrictions as an S-corporation. S-corporations, for example, cannot have disproportionate distributions and allocations. Okay. Okay. And in keeping with this theme, what are some of the labor items that should be discussed? Well, there's two immediate items that come to mind. First, key employees should be locked up. This means that these employees should have signed agreements that require confidentiality, non-solicitation, and perhaps non-compete covenants. Too many sellers fail to have their key employees locked up properly before they receive their letter of intent. Key employees are always material to a transaction. Further, too many sellers promise employees certain compensation upon a sale, such as a transaction bonus. Negotiating and documenting these items at the point of sale with a buyer on the horizon is a bad situation for the seller. You're saying that negotiating pay-to-stay agreements with key employees at the last minute can derail a sale? I am. Deals center around leverage. Whoever has the leverage has the ability to manipulate the transaction in their favor. A seller does not want to insert another party, such as an employee, into that dynamic. If an employee knows their continued employment is a condition to the sale, the employee now has leverage. It's not a good practice to have to negotiate with employees while negotiating with the buyer. Oh, gosh, that's a really good point. Now let's discuss value drivers and valuations in this three-year time period. What are some key considerations? Every seller needs to identify the key value drivers in their business. And once identified, make certain to have protected. Their value drivers could be key personnel, certain technologies, a particular competitive advantage, etc. Regarding valuations, sellers should understand their business's market value in a real way. Too many sellers falsely believe their business is worth more than it is. A seller should work back from a point of identifying what he or she hopes to sell their business for, then find out, using a third party, where the business currently stands. Then work to close the gap, if any. 
Knowing a true value of the business at the time of sale gives the seller the ability to negotiate price and terms with a buyer in a real way instead of guessing. In addition, a seller should also understand how much money is needed to support their future lifestyle. A seller is armed with reasonable understanding of the worth of their business at sale, coupled with a personal understanding of what they need to continue their lifestyle post-sale, is then equipped to fully negotiate with a buyer. A seller will have the power to know whether he or she is willing to take a little less purchase price if the buyer pays more cash at closing. Sellers without this planning are simply guessing with their future. I agree 100%, Mike. I frequently work in collaboration with financial planners uh, and CVA, certified valuation analysts, and my clients to have a comprehensive discussion about the value of the business, what shareholders want, and how to close the gap. My role is to help the company find and win certain types of contracts that will increase the company's market value. Frequently, this means multi-year full and open contracts as a prime contractor in heavily funded but difficult to penetrate agencies. I also try to help companies uncover and leverage intellectual property. What role does IP play in determining value? Well, many government contractors work with technology, as we know. Too many of these sellers have not fully understood the ownership and rights associated with the technology they use. No seller wants to find out during a transaction that the technology they thought they developed, they don't own. Sellers should frequently visit their IP portfolio to make certain it's current. Technology is not the only IP item of concern to sellers and buyers. A seller's name, logo, client list, trade secrets, as well as websites are all IP that are of interest to a buyer. Sellers should deploy an IP program to identify and then protect their intellectual property. Mike, this is such an important topic that we should probably have a podcast totally devoted to to this topic. We'll put that on the list. (laughs) A, A certified valuation analyst, or CVA, determines value by looking at the financial performance of the company. What is your recommendation on what business owners should do to prepare their books for this process? Well, a seller's financial documents likely will be the first and most important intersection with a buyer. Too many sellers do not prepare their books and records to be reviewed by a buyer. Remember, most buyers have deep experience reviewing financial materials to understand the profitability and related dynamics of a business. Having sloppy books and records at minimum will lead to more work for a buyer to price your deal, and a maximum will cause you to lose a buyer. I sometimes observe that government contractors are under the misconception that they should not invest in back office operations like accounting systems, contract management, or business development infrastructure in order to make their overhead low and their margins higher. But the reality is that they lose control of their business because they don't have the data they need to make informed executive decisions. And a failure to invest in business development infrastructure, meaning people, processes, and technologies, results in slow, inconsistent, and or low margin growth, all of which are undesirable if you're looking to attract a buyer. Have you seen this also, Mike? 
I have, and it's a it's a really good point. Many buyers, especially private equity buyers, want to purchase the seller as turnkey and not have to bring in or build out business components. Not having the proper infrastructure in a business and leaning too much on the ownership to handle all functions makes your business less valuable. Therefore, investing in not only infrastructure but a management team can be a good strategy if you intend to sell your business. Absolutely. I would imagine that there are significant personal and corporate tax considerations. Well, uh, that's that's certainly true. Uh, Taxes drive every corporate transaction. It's always on the mind of every seller. Unfortunately, though, too many sellers do not plan ahead to allow tax plans to be implemented and thus respected by the IRS. In a closely held business, personal and corporate tax reviews are intimately tied together. Techniques include such considerations as residency reviews, corporate structure modifications, gifting and titling, and the use of deferred compensation plans. After you have gotten somewhat of a sense of the current and projected value of the business, what are some of the transition options that should be discussed? Recall that a seller understanding their current value state and their projected value empowers a seller to have real negotiations with a buyer. If a seller wants to maximize dollar value, most likely a third-party sale will be the path. If a seller wants to transition to key employees or family, then using techniques to both potentially reduce value as well as fund the transition need to be vetted. Regardless, every seller must outline their key objectives, such as maximizing cash in their pocket, rewarding key employees, and so forth. Absolutely. I've been through that myself. Mike, we need to take a break. I'm talking to Mike Mercurio a shareholder at the law firm of Offit Kerman about the topics that should be addressed three years before selling your company. When we come back, we'll be discussing estate planning. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This Growth Masters Federal presentation is hosted by Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, Plan, collaborate, and build market value by developing and executing customized, data-driven business development playbooks, building efficient information systems, and creating high-performing BD teams. Utilizing the proprietary Davy Business Development Growth Framework, Scale to Market partners with business owners and executives to increase their company's value by achieving profitable and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. Email Shirley at scollier at scaletomarket.com to learn more about the Davy Growth Framework and how it can be instrumental in helping grow your federal contracting business. Back now to Shirley's conversation with Mike Mercurio, a partner with the Mid-Atlantic law firm of Offit Kerman, as they detail the timing and process of preparing a business for sale and maximizing its value. Welcome back. Mike, we discussed tax planning before the break, but what about estate planning? What are some of these issues that should be addressed? Sure. Tax planning for the business most times will involve estate planning for the owners. 
because the business is the largest asset of most owners. Planning for the personal tax matters and impact is important to understand and manage tax effects. Further, understanding the owner's objectives for their family and legacy is important. For example, does the owner have charitable designs? If so, incorporating this planning before the sale can lessen the tax impact on the seller and allow the seller to accomplish his or her charitable objectives most tax efficiently. I find that this is the most personally fulfilling conversation about selling your business. Sure, you want to assure that you and your family's financial needs are met, but thinking about and planning to positively affect the lives of others outside of the company is very rewarding. Most of us will never have the wealth of Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, but we can understand why they have charitable foundations. The rest of us can also make a difference, just on a smaller scale. There's another area that companies typically don't think about until the 11th hour, and that is insurance coverage. Why is that important, Mike? Well, insurance coverage and periodically reviewing and updating such coverage is an area that many business owners set and forget. Considering trailing liabilities in a sale transaction is a very important consideration for every owner. Most owners do not worry about being personally liable during the operation of their business. However, when a business owner sells, every buyer will require the owner to personally guarantee the affairs of the business. Making certain there's insurance coverage appropriate for the scenario is important. You are right. And most of us who own businesses don't think about personal liabilities post-transaction. Mike, You would think that the health, financial, political, and climate challenges the globe has right now, that contingency planning and disaster preparedness, is top of mind for most people. But sometimes it's not. Well, contingency planning is always a good idea. Frankly, business owners have responsibility to themselves and their families to keep the business strong and plan for the unfortunate situation. Moreover, business owners have a responsibility to their employees and their families that rely upon the business for their livelihood. No one could have predicted the COVID pandemic. However, the pandemic brought the need for risk, contingency, and disaster planning to the forefront of every business owner's mind. In the simplest sense, could the business continue to operate day to day if the business owner was removed for a period of time? Would key folks know how to access the finances, bank accounts, payroll, and so forth. This discussion is particularly important for small businesses that have a socioeconomic certification, such as SDVOSB, WOSB, or 8A, if those designations are dependent upon the status of one individual. And a related area is risk and liability assessment. How do you advise your clients on this? Well, we, we take a tiered approach. In addition to helping clients with their tax planning and estate planning, my firm also advises clients on asset protection techniques and strategies. While asset protection is not for everyone, it is a consideration as a business becomes more successful, especially if the business operates in an environment that's high risk. Asset protection comes in many forms. And the simplest form is having the right insurances and appropriate coverages. Behind insurance, the next level of review is corporate structuring to make sure the business is operating in the appropriate structure in the best jurisdiction. More sophisticated techniques include titling, trusts, and offshore accounts. 
So, Mike, as we wrap up here, do you have any final advice for our audience? I do, sure. For most people, the sale of their business is their largest and most sophisticated financial transaction. With proper planning and the matching of internal and external timing, this sale can be immensely rewarding. But like most things in life, last-minute exploits pale against calculated strategy and advanced planning. Starting the planning as early as possible presents the owners with the most and best options. I agree, Mike. This advice plays out daily across the GovCon M&A market. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and wisdom with our audience today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Shirley. Folks, if you would like to get in touch with Mike, he can be reached at 301-575-0332 or mmercurio at offitkerman.com, or you can reach out to us here at Skelta Market, and we'll make sure you're connected. This is Shirley Collier, president of Skelta Market and host of the Growth Masters Federal Podcast, signing off for now. As we close, I want to thank you for joining us today and encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn and visit our website, that's skeletomarket.com, with the number two in the middle, where you will find our library of podcasts, webcasts, white papers, my blog, and other links and resources. While there, please leave us a comment or suggestion so we can stay focused on what's important to you. We'll see you next time.